As we dig into chapter 11, we begin with this incident that much like the flood of Noah and much like the creation account, the Tower of Babel forms the background really of so many things within our lives that we sometimes wonder, how is it that all of humankind tends towards certain general directions and certain sins actually almost universally throughout humankind. And so here tonight, we have this event uh, that's called the Tower of Babel by most. Um, But it is perhaps the second most important event that we've come across thus far in our study through the book of Genesis. And so we'll pick up in verse 1 and down through verse 9 and the Tower of Babel. And As you look at this first slide, you can see in the background, this is actually a 1950s photo of the original site of what is believed to be the Tower of Babel. There was, at the time that this particular structure was built, uh, the remains of a former structure there. And though the site is debated, there's another competing site These things that we now call ziggurats, which form the foundation, actually, of our modern construction of skyscrapers. And so if you've ever seen, for instance, the Empire State Building, which stood for some 40 years as the tallest building in the world, it's actually conformed to this particular model, which is a series of rectangular structures that decrease in size as they go up. And it is believed that the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. So it was a fairly tall structure. But people often say, well, they were trying to build all the way up to God. And while that is true in the sense of what they were attempting to do, this was actually a tower for worship. But it was not a worship of God. It was a worship to become like God. The very thing that when we get to the book of Isaiah to chapter 14, we find was the source of Satan's fall. And so really we find the foundation of a number of different, really world religious systems that are contained within these first nine verses. So would you pray with me and let's ask God to speak uh, through his word. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the majesty again of how you instruct us by the power of your word. It is truly living and powerful. And Lord, it cuts through the things that Uh, we generally try and think we know. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would speak to us tonight, encourage us and strengthen us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. And now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. The land of Shinar is what we know is the founding area of Mesopotamia. Uh, We're about to get to Abram before he becomes Abraham. He's from this same area. Uh, This is the cradle of civilization. And so the cradle of civilization as we know it, very well historically documented. We're going to get to some of those evidences tonight. Um, But they've come from the east. And so when you think of from the east... We know that Noah's ark landed on the mountains of Ararat, which are in modern-day Turkey, which are to the east of the plains of Shinar. 
And so God's giving us a fairly accurate, uh, it is accurate in as much as we know it, but it is accurate even in relationship to our modern understanding of these places. And they dwelt there. And then they said one to another, and this is where it becomes very important for us to look at these verses quite closely. They said one to another. They began to communicate in a way that is not helpful and is counter to God. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So you can see there's some industriousness. You can see there's some technology. Um, They're not talking about making one or two or ten, but hundreds of thousands, ultimately likely millions of bricks. But up to this point in time, just like we used to have here in California, uh, I grew up in San Diego County. San Diego County was the last bastion uh, of here in our state where you could still build with adobe blocks. Adobe blocks were not fired. They were sun-dried. A little bit of that wonderful San Diego clay mixed in with a tiny bit of straw put into a mold and left out in the sun. And uh, there are still some really nice adobe homes still standing in San Diego County. But this is a different type of brick making. This is a fired brick. This is a hardened brick. This is a block that can be laid up quite high. Uh, It is far more rigid. It's able to withstand some of the effects of the atmosphere. One thing that adobe doesn't do really well is if you don't overhang it with a pretty good-sized roof and too much water falls on the face of it, uh, it erodes just like dirt. And so they're going to make some bricks that are going to last a while. And so they said, come let us make some bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone. And so you can see that before this time they were actually making stone buildings. And so they're going to now replace them because obviously collecting stones is an extremely more difficult proposition than making bricks all in one local area and then simply transporting them to the job site, uh, you've got to go out and collect them, and once you're out of rocks, you're out of rocks. And so they're they're going to use something that if you went to the land of modern-day Iraq, which is where this is, and you look around, there are a handful of rocky areas, but for the most part, most of Iraq does not have large stones in it, even to this day, that would be good and useful for construction. And so they're going to do something about that. And these things all become important as we, as we move through this passage. They said they will have some brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And what do you know about the Persian Gulf region today, which we would call uh, ancient Babylonia or Mesopotamia, or even parts of Persia, but it is the world's center for you-know-what, that dreaded black substance that everybody fights over, nothing more than oil. And here in California, if you happen to have grown up in the 50s and or the 60s, you may have remembered that an awful lot of places here in the L.A. Basin, and certainly as you moved a little bit north, in fact, if you go to the Santa Paula region, that valley that runs through to Ventura, um, Unical used to own thousands and thousands of acres there, and in fact, oil just oozed out of the ground. And when it comes out of the ground, it gets into the sun, it becomes quite thick, it becomes nothing more than asphalt. If you wandered the beaches here and you find those wonderful blobs of tar and they get stuck on your feet, you're cursing the asphalt that's now stuck to your feet. 
And so very sticky substance. The other thing that's really wonderful about it is it lasts almost indefinitely. So they've come up with a new construction material, which is a fired brick, and they're going to stick it together with asphalt. And here's the interesting thing. If you do this and you lay it layer upon layer, eventually that asphalt gets a little harder, just like the tar is. Remember us guys when we used to go to the telephone poles throughout Southern California and pull those blobs of tar off and chew on them? I know you didn't do that, but some of us did, just saying. It becomes very, very, very sticky, and it gets drier and drier, and eventually, uh, as the petrochemicals evaporate out of it, uh, it, perform, it forms a, a very, very, very strong bond, especially with something as porous as clay. And so now they have asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. There's a little subtlety there. And the top in the heavens really is a series of Hebrew words that says it is a representation of the heavens, is a little more correct rendering of it. Though it is also true, it was tall. The point was the closer you got to heaven, the closer you got to God. And so they're going to build a tower, in essence, to God. And now we know what their intent is, coming in the next portion of of this verse, verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Now they've already understood that God is going to scatter them. And because life is comfortable, they're living together, this is a direct rebellious action against God. They are choosing to go the opposite direction. They do not want the good shepherd, as we saw this morning, to govern their lives. They do not want to be led to the still waters and green pastures. They want to mark their own path. They're going to get there their way. They have absolutely no desire to do what God has asked them to do. But the Lord... And again, I I personally believe this is a Christophany. So the difference between a theophany and a Christophany, theophany is just simply God visits the earth. In this this sense, because it is the Lord that's referenced here, um, it is pretty likely this is a a, uh, pre-incarnational visit by the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the sons of men had built, And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have one language. And so here you have God looking at the situation, realizing where man is going, understanding fully what man intends to do, and he has the tools, in essence, to do it. And one of the things that's very important in this particular context is there are times when you will find yourself in a similar situation. You have the capacity, you have the ability, you have the means, you have the tools, you have the resources at your disposal, and you set out to go the wrong direction. God very often, because he loves us, intervenes and he removes the situation from your control. Rather than allow you to destroy yourself, I can't tell you the countless people that I have counseled and sat with, and said, oh, I don't know why God took my home. I don't know why I lost my job. I'm not sure why this inheritance I was supposed to get, I didn't get. 
And then you run back through the situations that led up to it, and you can see they were heading down a wrong path. And God looks at the situation, and he takes away the ability to sin. He literally removes that, sometimes the system, sometimes the thing itself, sometimes the resources. But because the people are now one, they're unified in their thinking, and they have one language, they can communicate, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. God's actually admitting that his creation is wise. That his creation is now using those gifts that were given to them for a, a purpose that is counter to God's purpose. And now I want you to notice verse 7. Come, let us go down. So it's gone from the Lord himself has come down. And now it switches over to a plural pronoun, us. Let us. And so now you have a convention of delegates from heaven. And I believe this is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us go down to the earth. And so now they're going to go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. God thwarts their action. And therefore its name is called Babel, which means confusion, by the way, in a general sense, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all of the earth. This single event. And really what happens here is the very thing that the Apostle Paul actually warns us about. Uh, and, and you can see it in some great detail in Romans chapter 1. And if you were with us on our Thursday night study quite some time ago, a couple of years ago, we actually covered this chapter, but I do want to look at it once again. So if you turn to Romans chapter 1, you see man has some universal propensities, and they're not good. Anybody in here figured out already that you have a sin nature? That you can figure out how to do bad things with good things? That you can use the good things God's given you for bad purposes that you can ruin things that God's given you that are good when he gives them to you, but when you get done, not so much. You, you see, that's, that's kind of universal with mankind. And without the redemption that God offers through Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to go that way. So here, the Apostle Paul is contrasting someone who is an unbeliever with someone who's a believer. And so pick up with me, if you would, in verse 18, uh, here in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So God's given us a little insight into how he feels about ungodliness. Unrighteousness. Using things that are good for immoral purposes. He said, if you want to get my ire up, take the good things that I've given you and use them for bad purposes. That's a good way to get on God's not-so-good side. The good news is, as a believer... He's even going to express that anger with you in his grace, 
but without it, you go into this next category that's spoken of here. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God himself has shown them to them. For since the creation of the world... So now he's referring back to the creation, which was on the other side of the flood of Noah. And on the other side of the flood of Noah, contained in the account that Noah still knows, that Shem, Ham, and Japheth still know, they have a personal tie to that flood, There is a first-hand account from the ark itself by the families that are now on the earth. This is not a distant memory to them. He says, from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. Because although they knew God... And here's the deal. They did not glorify him. Notice what it says back in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. They didn't want to glorify God. They didn't want what God wants. They were going against what they knew God was intending to do. And so at that point, God says, you're without excuse. They they knew him. They weren't thankful but became futile in their thoughts and foolish in their hearts as they were darkened. Professing themselves, professing, excuse me, to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. And interestingly enough, this region of the world is the the center of what we would call today the Zodiac. Zodiac. Founded through Zoroastrianism, Mesopotamian uh, folklore, you have the Persians and you have the Babylonians all studying the stars. And interestingly enough, what do they create in the heavens but animals? Those animals become gods and they begin to worship the stars themselves as gods. And so these two places that we find man in rebellion to God, result in the same thing. And so now, therefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And for this reason, God gives them over to vile passion. And he goes on and describes all of this sinful behavior that's going to happen when you get to this place. And he says of them, ultimately, they will become backbiters and haters of God, violent, proud, they're in verse 30, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents, undeserving, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only those who do the same, but also of those who approve of them. A little insight into the character of God. Does God ever change? Does he have a different standard for people right after the flood than he does for you and I? 
He has a different way of expressing his covenant to us, his conditions for us, but his holiness has never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what he expected in holy living of those right after the flood, he expects of you and I, us today. And so as these people, right after the flood, began to put their little tiny heads together, and they began to think the first thing that they did was professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they began to worship the creation instead of the creator. And in fact, what they really wanted to do was to get rid of God himself. We will make a tower into the heavens and we will become God. And so what you have here is the birth, in essence, of what we would affectionately, ultimately call the spirit of Antichrist. That which is against God in its totality. And combined with it are all kinds of world systems that are all linked together. And ultimately, all of the world's great mortal enemies of God himself have come from this region of the world. Almost without exception. Now bear in, man, bear in mind that mankind shows here a propensity himself to be against God. And the very thing that we'll ultimately see that will come on the scene once we're out of here and the Lord raptures us home is going to re-erupt from this exact area according to Revelation chapter 17 in the form of mystery Babylon, which Babel is a shortened version from which we get Babylon. So these things are all linked together. And so when you look at this chapter, you can honestly kind of isolate it into the very distant past. But what did they have there? They tried to have a one world government. They tried to have a one world religious system. They tried to have a one world monetary system. They tried to make themselves God, and they tried to push God out of the equation. Not much has changed. Amen? That's still the coming mystery Babylon. That's what's going to happen. The Antichrist will eventually come on the scene. He's going to say, look, I've got a cure for what ails us. We don't need this God guy anymore. We can all do it ourselves. All roads do, in fact, lead to heaven. We'll just get everybody together, and we'll be fine. Be careful if that begins to happen. And do not join them. Because the Lord is near, and the church is about to go home. What you have here is the birth of secular humanism. Very specifically, ultimately, pantheistic humanism. And when you think of pantheism, it means really God in everything. Everything has the potential to have God in it, and everything can be God. Pantheos. All things God. 
And so you, you have this incredible picture of man saying, look, we'll make everything else God, but let's get rid of the real God. We want to do it our way. And all of a sudden, man becomes the center of all of this. You ever wondered where your selfishness comes from? Oh, it was inherited from Adam. It made it on the ark. It made it on the other side of the flood. It was born in Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's something that we're going to struggle with as humankind until the Lord comes and creates a new heaven, new earth, a new Jerusalem, and solves the problem permanently. The system is, is this insidious philosophy that there is no God. One of the reasons that evolutionary thinking is so prevalent in our world today is it is the alternative. On one hand, you have exactly as Roman, Romans 1 declared, a creator. And that creator is responsible for the creation. If you don't believe that, then you have to believe something else. Because there's no one in this room that thinks that the entire universe happened by an accident. If you do, we need to talk after service. If you can't see the order that exists in our universe, finely tuned to, to the exponentially mind-numbing digits, then... then you just have a problem. So you have to figure that that came from somewhere. So did it come from aliens? Did it begin with chance? And somehow chance began to organize itself? Chemicals somehow turned into goo into you. That's what you have to believe. So either the creation is God by itself, and we are the top of creation. When you look at anthropology today, what's at the top of the animal line? Humans. So if humans is at the top, and it all created itself, then we are the closest thing there is to God. And so we worship our intellect. We worship, in essence, our own abilities and our own mind. We become the center of the universe, hence the term humanism. Man's at the center. It's human-centric. This passage gives us some pictures into this, the seeds of this. Very probable that this pagan system that we know as the zodiac was founded right here and right there you can well imagine that god truly appreciated the fact that the patriarchs could look up in the sky and see the stars they didn't deal with smog like we do same stars that are there today were there then and so they begin to stare up that you know, well maybe we're the center and so now there's going to be a new world order now think about this for a moment. At first you have Adam and Eve and God. What happens? Adam and Eve say the very same things that they're saying at Babel. We want it our way. 
God, we think you're holding something from us. We're pretty sure that if we eat, if we eat that fruit, because the devil told us, the talking snake, the serpent, said if we eat that, we're going to become like you. And that's what you don't want. Flood happens after the flood. You have Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives, and now the population of the earth that's come from them. They all have that same sin nature. For through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and through sin, death. So you have this whole thought process that each one of us still struggles with. Am I the center? Is God the center? Something's got to be the center. And so it begins right here at the Tower of Babel. In essence, there's a new world order that pops up on the scene. And because man can communicate, man has a tool at his disposal because if I have some intelligence and you have some intelligence and we can put our intelligence together, that's the reason that doctors work in teams. That's the reason that architects and engineers work in teams. That's the reason that you have a faculty at a college and not just one professor for the whole college. You have people with specialties. You have people whose minds are geared towards mathematics and some towards science, some towards language, some towards uh, English, some towards writing. You see, you can take all of these gifts and you put them together and they become something larger than the individual so you now have an organism. And that organism now becomes the center of man's thinking. We will build a tower. The whole earth at that time had one speech. They could understand each other. They're living in an environment where they're actually doing well. They begin to build a city. That city is prosperous. And they're becoming self-sufficient. Can I tell you that Self-sufficiency has wiped out more Christians than want ever has. I've watched more people turn away from the Lord because they were prosperous than because of those who had great want. When you're self-sufficient, what happens is, it's like, okay, well, God, I, I think you're there, but who needs you? And that's the place that these people had, had gotten to. They're, they're wandering around in their beautiful little community, they're going, look at our gardens, look at our nice tower. We've got this religious monument, and we're reaching up to the heavens, and we'll just add another layer onto it next year, and we'll get a little closer. But you have to remember that the ancients, up until the time of Johannes Kepler, the invention of the telescope through Galileo, most people believed that the heavens were only up there a couple hundred miles. That in fact there was a fabric up there. And maybe the light was just simply little tiny holes in the fabric of space. I had no idea that most of those things were galaxies. They believed the earth was largely flat. And so man's going, we got this. I mean the earth's flat, we'll just go to the other side, whatever's over there. We will become the center. We're going to start building. Now, maybe we won't get there this year, but next year we'll get there. 
And they put knowledge on top of knowledge, professing themselves to become, to be wise, they became fools. Same thing that we struggle with today. And ultimately, they, they build the society, and Nimrod is at its, at its helm. That society becomes violent. That society has advantages for the upper class. That society allows for some people to be taken advantage of. It allows for poverty. It allows for riches. It allows for rulers. It does all kinds of things that man has rarely handled well. But the thing that's linking them together is language. And I want you to think about your own speech for a moment. And I'm assuming because you're all looking at me, most of you speak English in here as your primary source of communication. That means a couple of things to us. Number one, there is an auditory part of it. We're actually speaking certain sounds. Those certain sounds mean the same thing to me as they do to you. In other words, it's conveying information. And so it is the conveyance of the information that ultimately becomes the problem. And the fact that you understand the sound that I make, and I understand the sound that you make, and we communicate information with it. Syntax, meaning. It's interesting because we're the only animals on the face of the earth, if you want to look at it in an evolutionary sense, that do this. There are no other animals that talk to each other. No matter how many times you've watched Dr. Doolittle, animals do not talk. Can they communicate? Yes. Can they use language? Absolutely not. Can they mimic human beings? Yes. Can they use language? Absolutely not. God gave that to man. And now man is misusing that. And so God says, we're going to go to them. We're going to see what this is that they're building with their dirt and with their goo and their brainwashing speech. Now, if you're in here and you're a male, you realize that there's such a thing as corporate bravado. Amen? You see that on football teams. You see that on basketball teams. You see that when you get a bunch of guys together and we stand around and we build each other up, it's like, yeah, we can kill them. You take the one guy and put him in front of the 50 people that you're talking about, he's going to say nothing. But you take 20, 30, 40 guys and put them together, all of a sudden, mm, we kill. That's what they're doing. They're saying there's enough of us, we don't need God. We're smart enough, we can talk to each other, we'll just brainwash each other into believing we have this. And so they begin to build their own kingdom. There in the Fertile Crescent, you have the Tigris, the Euphrates River, very fertile farmland as you reach down towards the Gulf. It's actually uh, a sea of reeds in some places. So there's tremendous amounts of fresh water, there's fish, there's everything you need. Early irrigation products. They begin to build canals. 
The famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon will come along later. But they've come up with a conve- uh, basically a collectivist mentality. They, they build the world's first, first kibbutz, in essence. It's like, we'll all get together, we'll kind of have communal living, we'll all share in the goodness of these things, and we'll tell God we don't need him. And so they decide to build their own kingdom. But they're not building God's kingdom. God is concerned that his creation recognizes who he is, that he loves us, he wants to have a relationship with us, and then we build his kingdom. So when you get sidetracked from that endeavor, you're building someone else's kingdom, not God's. And it may not be inherently bad. I want to make sure that I'm accurate here. You know, just because someone does not know the Lord doesn't mean that they can't come up with a wonderful idea or maybe a life-saving medication or a surgical procedure or some type of building technology like you have going on here. Not saying that at all. But if at the end of that, as we have continued to do up until this day, the more we learn, the more we know, in essence, it's resulted in there is no God. When in fact, if we really look at what we know and how we have learned it, we'll realize that the very fact that we can actually see that there is order out of chaos should tell us there is a God. But we don't want that responsibility. So we just say, look, we're going to build our own little kingdom. We'll make a name, notice it, for ourselves. It says there in verse 4, let us make us a name. Not God a name. We're going to make our own name. And then they tell us why. They weren't concerned with God's plans. They deliberately acknowledged that it's contrary to God's command. Because they said he, was going to, he said he was going to scatter them. And so let's just get together and we'll just do away with this God guy. We have now institutionalized that thinking. And again, I want to be very careful here because not every teacher, not every professor in every college, in every state is anti-God. There are many wonderful Christian professors, teachers, scientists, people in every field. But a vast majority of our society is anti-God. Because the result of it is, if you actually believe in him, then you have to ask the next question is, he's there, what does he want from me? And that's the question people don't want to answer. And that's actually what was at foot here. Well, if we acknowledge he's alive, then we actually have to respond to what he's saying. So now we, we just, we're going to build our own little environment here. We're done with God. We'll worship the stars. We'll worship the zodiac. Look right there, you can see it. That's kind of the virgin right there. There's Leo over there. We'll make up our own little pantheon of gods. And of course, you can imagine what Satan's beginning to do at this point in time. He's saying, you guys go. He's cheering them on. He's fueling the fire. He undoubtedly is giving them some of that knowledge. 
you know, not every bit of knowledge comes from God. I'm going to be honest. I don't believe that God invented nuclear weapons. I don't. Did God give us understanding into nuclear energy? Yes. But I don't believe that God ever intended for us to possess nuclear weapons. That is a misuse of the intelligence that God gave us. I don't believe that God ever intended for us to use our incredible monetary systems to disadvantage peoples on the face of the earth. Monetary system is good, but you can almost see how the enemy be behind that saying, well, you just kind of manipulate this a little bit. And we'll make it unfair for this people group and we'll make it really fair for this people group. You see, the enemy cannot create anything. He can only lie, deceive, and pollute. And so what he does here is takes this incredible mental ability that mankind has, this gifting towards innovation, he says, I know how to use that to get him to sin against God. Be careful when anything you know pushes you away from God. Be careful. Because that's the enemy at foot in the back of your mind saying, well, you know, I'm not sure if you actually need God or not. They made some very, very big mistakes in their thinking. In essence, they invented a whole bunch of isms, all in a very short period of time. And of course, you can see how they invented atheism. We're going to do without God. Ah, a, means without. Teo, teism. Ah, teism, or atheism, means without God. And so they're saying, we'll just build this tower and then we won't need God. So they invent atheism. So if you have enough people and you don't need God, let's invent humanism. We'll do it our own way. Whatever we say goes. And so we'll be the center of our world. Atheism has to be replaced because you were created to worship. All of humankind, if you want proof of this, it's the world religions. Mankind was created to worship. The only question is what or who will you worship? Man is inherently worshipful. And so if you take God out of it, you're going to worship something. In this case, the next thing in the line is mankind itself. We're awesome. Let's worship us. And so look what comes along next. We don't want anybody to tell us what's right or wrong. That's what God did. We want to call the shots ourselves. That's what humanism is. So now we're going to default to existentialism. Whatever we say it is, that's what it is. We're going to make our own rules. If we like it, we like it. If we don't like it, we don't like it. And furthermore, let's be egocentric about it. Let's not make it so that everybody gets the same vote. What I say it is matters most to me. And then, of course, the most extreme example of that is narcissism. 
an intense desire to please exactly one person, and that's you. So you go from atheism to humanism to existentialism to egocentrism, ultimately to narcissism. The next thing that comes, because man was created to worship, is godless ecumenism. we got to worship something. So let's worship the stars. Let's worship flipper. Let's worship trees. Let's worship rocks. Let's worship us. Let's worship everything. And as long as you think it's cool, we can all just get along. And then finally, you end up, even if you do believe in God, you don't believe in the triune one who's just come and visited them. You believe in monism. There's some kind of supreme being, but we don't really know who he is. So for you, God is a doorknob. And for me, I believe in this other guy who used to exist and he lives on a planet with a whole bunch of wives. As long as there's a single God, your God is who you say he is. All these things are still painfully in play in our world today. They're still consuming the hearts and the minds of people. And these are the big mistakes. And so the Lord came down to see their city and tower, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one. Check it out. They don't want God. Atheism. They're one. Humanism. They're the center of their own thinking. Existentialism. They're egocentric. They only care what they think. They're they're narcissistic supremely. They look at only what they think. They begin to say, we got to worship something, so everything that you worship is good, and ultimately we want that to be the focal point, so we're just going to, whatever you say your God is, that's good with us. So into the world comes Buddhism, Hinduism, animism, a whole bunch of other isms. Why? Because of the first step. If you don't believe in the true and the living God, the God of Romans chapter 1, then any ism will do. That's why this passage is so important. Man is still making these mistakes. And it comes, comes with a tremendous penalty. God says, okay, that's what you want. I'll make it so you can't communicate with each other. And so God pushes mankind out. And so the Lord scattered them abroad. He confounds their language in verse 7. They stop building the city because they can no longer communicate with one another. And we're not sure along what, you know, what lines they did that. Was it you know the descendants of Ham couldn't talk to the Shemites or the Semites? Was it those of Japheth couldn't talk to, or could they all talk to each other in some form of 
of Semitic language, we, we don't know. God doesn't say. But what he does tell us is that through this one leader, Nimrod, all of these people are going to be, in essence, dispersed. They become weaker as a group because they can no longer communicate to each other. And it's sufficient that within a few millennia, all kinds of things begin to happen. Because those things that used to be the benefit of them getting together, they no longer had. They, they began to run away in people groups. They began to interbreed. You see tremendous genetic mutation and specialization. You're going to end up with birth defects. You're going to have physical deformities. You're going to have all kinds of things because first and second cousins are going to start marrying one another too closely because they're going to be divided up and dispersed into languages. God had originally said, that's not going to happen. There is a penalty to try, if you try and push God out of your life. The sad part is, is you may not initially see what that penalty is. And you head down a very long road that leads to a place that you don't want to go. The problem is you don't know that you don't want to go there. You think that it seems right in your own eyes. You go back to the humanism. You go back to the atheism. You go back to the existentialism. You go back to the egocentrism. You go back to the narcissism. You go back to the monism. And ultimately what happens is you think to yourself, how did I ever get here? And then all of a sudden, the God of grace, the good shepherd, comes into your life. He says, I can fix this. Because what you really need to know is the creator. What you really need to know is the one true Lord. And if you know him, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. Mankind's been doing this for a very long time. The historic evidence of this event, really up until this century, um, was contested, to say the least. But in the early 1970s, in modern-day Syria, there were a cache of some 18,000 clay cuneiform tablets found, along with, lo and behold, several what we would call translation tablets, in other words, telling us exactly what each form or letter means. They're called the Elba tablets from the city that they're found in Syria. There's also an additional 4,700 fragments. Ultimately, when they started going through these things, because they had the ability to translate them correctly, because they had the translational tablets there as well, guess what names came up in the tablets? All of these tablets dated by secular archaeologists uh, to be at least two and a half thousand years old. Shem, Ham, Japheth, Babel, Babylon, Megiddo, and about half of the names that you find in the Old Testament. All in an ancient language that no longer exists. Because God, in fact, did confuse all the languages. And in doing so, put mankind on a course to send certain groups of people to what we would call Asia, 
certain groups of people to Europe, certain groups of people stayed in the region in Mesopotamia, Persia, North Africa, ultimately settling what we call our own country, the Americas, both North and South. And God just said, look, if this is all you can do with what I'm going to give you, I'm going to make it so you can't use each other's technology and each other's goodness and all of the benefits of living together. You can each go make it on your own. And so from that, the 1,500 or so individual languages, along with all the dialects, an incredible flood account called the Gilgamesh Epic. It looks just a whole bunch like the flood of Noah, all dated to the time that we believe would have been right after the flood of Noah. Your Bible's trustworthy. And here it provides us with a warning about factoring God out of the equation. We don't want to do it. Amen? Bring the worship team back up and back out. Uh, we are not going to have prayer tonight. We are just going to simply worship. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes back? We're going to pray. And then we're going to end with worship tonight. Make God the center. Don't ever be tempted to think that you don't need him. That you're too smart. That your mind is a substitute for the glory of the true and the living God. It's never worked out well in the course of human history, and it won't work out well for us either. There is a Lord in heaven who loves us, and he desires for you to love him back. And if you do that, it's all going to be good. If you don't do that, no amount of goodness is going to save you from what's going to come next. Because the Lord's clearly said there are two types of people on this earth. There's believers and unbelievers. Be a believer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, we bless your name. We know that ultimately, Lord, you're going to come back for your church and take us home. That God, keep us from factoring you out of the equation. Help us to never dabble in something so severe as atheism or even being egocentric or narcissistic. Lord, we're, we're just, we're ashamed at times that we've attempted to think you out of our lives. Lord, we're asking you to make our thoughts futile if we ever get to that place. Lord, if we're consorting with the enemy, Lord, if we're thinking things we shouldn't or doing things we shouldn't, God, correct us. We thank you for loving us enough to do so. Pray that you'd bless us, Lord. And as we ponder these deep things, God, we can see the roots of the things that trouble our world. And so help us as believers in you to be counter to our culture. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.